Well, happy Father's Day to you, to everyone here. It's good to see you. Uh, this week I uh, happened to see a shirt I appreciated. We were over at Mount Pleasant at that Zoo in the Park event they had, which was really nice. And I actually liked this shirt so much I went to take a picture of it, but for some reason it was missing from my phone later. I don't know if it got deleted somehow or somebody else didn't think it was as good as I did. But uh, it had uh, uh, the words bad joke were written on the front of the uh, shirt, and there was a line through the letter B, and it was replaced with D. So it said dad joke. And the guy that was wearing it was a young dad, and he was there with his little girl. And and I I said, can I take a picture of your shirt, which is not something I say to most people in social situations. But um, And then I don't know what happened to the picture, so – uh, so if you're there and you're a fan of uh, dad jokes, you're in good company. I know there's at least a couple of you out there that put up with mine. So, But happy Father's Day. I'd like to thank all the ladies and everyone that contributed earlier to our Donuts with Dad. That was a delicious time. Good time in the Lord, good time in fellowship. Thank you all very much for all your contributions. Also, we didn't, we didn't have this together for this week. Uh, but next week, we'll, we'll have a little bit of a presentation for you for VBS. I'd like to thank all of our volunteers, and some of them aren't here today, uh, but we had a lot of folks involved out at Vestaberg. Numbers were a little down this year, but we had a good group of kids. Uh, Ferris had several grades as opposed to just, uh, well, I guess two, two groups, and we had several helpers, and we just like to thank everyone that had any role in that, especially Cheryl. Cheryl did a lot of work on that, so thank you. Had a couple people out this week too. Uh, this uh, we've got a, been a busy place. Just had a lot going on lately. Uh, Want to thank Vic and Gerald for all the work they did out here by the fence. Uh, little things like this, not everybody notices, but uh, the work really goes a long way. They they went out here probably clearing I don't know several years worth of brush and uh, all kinds of fun stuff. So thank you guys very much for your work this week in doing that. Uh, Busy summertime, we're drawn near 150th, lots going on, so uh, thank you to each and every person that has contributed. And this morning, we're jumping in part three, part three of this sermon series. I'd like to thank you all for coming back and listening to part three. Once again, uh, the name of our series, It's Spiritual Warfare. I haven't tired yet of using the voice yet. I always thought I'd do, I always thought I'd do a decent job at... Uh, uh, being one of those TV commercial voiceover announcers. You know the guy comes on this film rated PG-13, but I said he'd become a preacher instead. But this is the message in which somebody actually said to me this last week and, and really kind of got me excited about this one. Uh, heard from someone, you know, uh, Josh, I'm really looking forward to that part three of this series uh, that you've been telling us about, that, that on, the, on the home front. And when I heard about this series and I heard that you were going to spend significant time talking about spiritual warfare in the family unit, I just thought, oh man, I, I bet that message is going to be riveting. It's going to be life-changing. If I had to guess that sermon's going to be a, a, a really good one, and, and after all this buildup and all this hype, this, this person got me thinking, wow, I, I can't wait for that sermon either. Uh, I just got to find somebody who will uh, preach it for me. I'm the best they could find. But a bit of a disclaimer, uh, you know, if you, if you came to hear the guy this morning uh, who was brought up in the, the perfect uh, family situation in the past, grown up to have the, the perfect family situation in the present, who's already invested perfectly in the perfect situation, family situation in the future, sorry, you're going to be sorely disappointed by the message you're about to hear this morning. Uh, came from a home with a lot of provision, plenty of love and encouragement. We also struggled with some loss. There was a little bit of extended family dysfunction to the mix. 
I'd like to tell you it's the, the home in which my wife and I live is a place where we give just, just the perfect balanced amount of, of love and attention and encouragement to our children. We never have a bad day. No one ever gets upset. Kids always behave. Always do right what you tell them to do. Get up in the morning, life's always peachy. I'm, always, I'm already hearing laughter over here, you know. Well, we live in the parsonage, right? So that, that fixes everything. But that's not the real world for anybody, and no matter how much we, we want to think otherwise, right? So this morning, as we, we talk about what the Bible says, as we, as we open uh, up to the Word, see what it says in regards to defending ourselves spiritually on the home front, in our home lives, in part three of this series, uh, again, you know, the voice of, of knowledge and experience in this area, this, this unfailing, carried success of managing spiritual warfare on the home front, that's not me. <laughs> I'm not that guy. Um, I can relate to being knocked down, having my faith tested, stretched a little bit via family relationships. And maybe you can too. Maybe you can too this morning. This morning, what we want to take with us is that this truth, spiritual warfare, warfare on, the, on the home front, the truth is still the truth whether or not we live up to it. That's the good news. The truth is still the truth whether or not we live up to it. So let's get those Bibles out. You can go ahead and turn to the text this morning if you'd like, Deuteronomy. Uh, before we go through the scripture together this morning, out of Deuteronomy, not out of Ephesians this week, I'd like to describe just a few real-world scenarios with you that will maybe help paint the picture of a spiritual battle, probably taking place right now, somewhere on the home front. And, and maybe you can relate, or, or maybe you could relate to, to one of these sometime in the past. Got to get hydrated. Scenario number one. Scenario number one. Rick and Susie Jones are a middle-aged couple. They live somewhere near you. Rick and Susie have four daughters, aged 15, 11, 8, and 4. Their house is wall-to-wall -wall littered with hair ties. Rick and Susie are busy Monday through Friday and typically Saturday as well, making ends meet as they describe their routines. And in the meantime... Their daughters, these four kids, they're not given a whole lot of attention, but they are given a whole lot of stuff. In exchange for all the provision that these two workaholics have perpetually allowed for their kids, tablets, you name it, uh, some gym equipment, and it's not all material, these four kids also receive plenty of athletic, plenty of social activities, both school-related, independently organized, but in exchange for all the keeping up with the Joneses that Rick and Susie allow their little Joneses, what kind of a home is visibly being built around their efforts. Yeah, the Jones kids are busy like every other kid in Barron. I mean, all kids are busy. It's just the way it goes. But what about the relationships? The relationships that are being formed between mom and dad and the kids. What kind of people are the Jones children turning out to be? Well, three out of the four daughters, to describe them, you might say at a glance, they're mouthy, smart-alecky, filled with negativity, and the older they all get, the less interested they seem to be in other people, and especially Jesus, and the more interested they are in their stuff and their routines. Hmm, kind of like mom and dad. Well, that's just having kids. That's just growing pain, some might argue. But see, Rick and Susie, sure, they spend about a half an hour, half an hour in church worship on Sunday morning, maybe, 
Maybe they sprinkle a little bit of Christianity onto their calendar, but what about the rest of the week? You can catch the Jones parents spending their time the rest of the week not exactly focusing their homes on God the Son, but on everything else under the sun. But the sad part of this scenario is this. Uh, friends, I'm relatively new at this parenting thing. I, I, almost, I almost won the, the Youngest Parent Award today. I have mouthy kids too, so, you know. But we only get one shot at this, right? We only get one shot at this. This is what I told I've yet to encounter any parent, maybe some of you can vouch for this, that looking back says this about raising their children. Man, that time between the time they were in the, nur the nursery and the time they moved out, that just took forever. I mean, it's like, come on already. You guys took way too long to grow up move out of here. Never heard that. Never heard that. Time goes quickly, doesn't it? Between birth and high school diploma and so on. Right, moms, dads? Grandmas, grandpas, even if Rick and Susie don't notice what's behind them until they look around and see grown-up children that are just like them, for better, for worse. So Rick and Susie actually meant for the joy of the Lord to show up in the lives of maybe they're sarcastic, maybe they're unsatisfied, maybe they're materialistic children. What in the world happened? What in the world happened? We'll go ahead and skim this text this text from Deuteronomy, if you haven't, as you do, let's, let's talk through world, real world scenario number two. Another couple. I'd like you to meet Matt and Lori. We don't have any Matt and Lori's here this morning, do we? It's not you if we do. Matt and Lori were middle school youth group buddies and high school sweethearts. Matt proposed marriage to Lori at the age of 18 on the night the ball, ball dropped Y2K. Remember Y2K? Some of us do. 15 minutes after midnight that night, both kids were in fact disappointed that Y2K bug never took away any credit card balances for them on a computer anywhere. Boy, they were sure hoping for that. By the way, Josh Rude was disappointed at that one at the time too. But back to our story. Matt and Lori, they tied the knot six months later. A pair of twins, boy and a girl, entered their home about 11 months later. For a while, this was a home that felt like a little bit of heaven on earth. But 18 years after Matt and Lori tied the knot, there's trouble in so-called paradise. You see, Matt Jr. and little Marissa, two little kids, they're not so little anymore. They're, they're out the door, they're college-bound, and Matt and Lori are looking around the house they've built together, and they're realizing there isn't much left except some credit card debt. Spark from a relationship they once had, it's long gone. They live together, that's about it. Feeling lonely with little more but a nod being exchanged between one to the other when uh, Matt comes home from work before he's out the door again with his buddies. She can't help it. The thought of a man, not her husband, crosses Lori's mind yet again one evening. An affair would be so easy right now. You know, especially with kids gone, what makes the difference? What happens to this marriage? What's Matt working for anyway? She asks herself, obviously not us. Obviously not us. And Lori thinks back, and she remembers once standing before a minister and making vows to have and to hold until death do us part. But what happens when a marriage dies long before the man and the woman? We really meant to build a, a happy home, Lori tells herself. All those years ago, what in the world happened? What in the world happened? It's almost time for that text this morning. Quickly, let's talk first through real-world scenario three, and then we'll jump in. Maybe you know grandma and grandpa. Maybe you know grandma and grandpa. Maybe they live in your neighborhood. 
Grandma and Grandpa sat back and watched as their daughter Emily and their son-in-law Aaron pick up two little grandchildren, ages 12 and 10, and move away. Emily and Aaron had found better living conditions, a better life for their growing family, but grandparents have mixed emotions about this relocation. See, there's been many a date night, uh, many a Sunday afternoon that these two little boys, Jared and Jason, spent time playing at uh, Mama and Pappy's, as they affectionately referred to Grandma and Grandpa's house. But these days are obviously going to wind down. You see, Emily and Aaron, where they had uh, lived down 2nd Street from Mama and Pappy's, close enough to even ride a bike, now the commute was just going to be a little too far to stay in touch easily. Distance between Grandma and the grandkids, not to mention Mom and Emily, was now going to be a sure thing anymore. That's right, they no longer live down the street, but they live 20 miles down the road in the next Midwestern small town over, big distance. Wasn't close enough for kids on bikes, but you'd think it'd be close enough for Emily's van to bring the grandkids over every once in a while for a visit. You'd think it'd be, right? Of course, during the move down the, the big highway to the next town over, the frustration of loading and unloading came between Aaron and his father-in-law. You ever heard an exchange like this? One small distance uh, difference of opinion in, in arranging a U-Haul trailer turned into a big blow-up on Aaron's part, and afterwards he, he resolved never to come back to Second Street, never to come back there, never to come back down the road, even two years down the road, no matter who was still living there. And in doing so, the example that Aaron, a baptized Christian, by the way, decided to set before his in-laws, in who were not baptized believers, not to mention the example that he set before his children was this. The gospel of peace and the grace of Jesus Christ was big enough to forgive the whole world of Christians of every act of murder, lust, and idolatry imaginable, but not big enough to forgive one's father-in-law of a few nasty words. Aaron wasn't typically a person who ever wanted to stir up drama, as Emily put it, let alone keep it going. What in the world happened? What in the world happened? Well, what happened? What happened with these couples in these scenarios? What happened not only with Aaron and Emily in scenario number three, but also with Rick and Susie in scenario number one and Matt and Lori in scenario number two? Battles breaking out on the home front for all three couples. Spiritual battles, not really battles with flesh and blood, Ephesians 6, as we've talked about over the last two weeks. Even if the problem of some wayward kids or failing marriage or estranged in-laws seems like it's all a battle of words, instead, their symptoms of not being grounded with the right words. Not being grounded with the right words. And that's what happened. And now it's time for Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. And you know what? Let's actually, this isn't up there, but that's okay. Let's jump back to verse 4, and then we'll pick up here on the screen. Verse 4 will put this text in its proper perspective. God's people at this point are nearing the threshold of the promised land upon which to build home under the Lord. And they're given these instructions. Verse 4 says, Oh, hear, oh, excuse me, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Verse 5, You shall lo love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Verse 6, follow with me. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down 
and when you rise. End of text. And we mentioned last week that God's people never want to find themselves in a position of spiritual battle without wearing the whole armor of God. As we said, this, this includes defending oneself just like the Son of God, just as Jesus did himself with the very words of God. So what happens? What happens when we spend a day, when we spend a, a week, a, a month, several years in Christian combat, in battle, without so much as even fastening on a sword? As some of the couples from our scenarios apparently have this morning. What happens when we fail the words of God by failing to teach them, to live them out diligently to our families as we've been instructed? Because the problem, the problem, brothers and sisters, with every man, woman, child situation at home, down to the smallest tint or de detail of dysfunction, is as someone has said, we all, quote, either need Jesus or we need more Jesus. Amen. We either need Jesus or we either need more Jesus. But for some reason, too often we expect family life. The ins and outs of our family relationships and all the dynamics within to be easy. Well, these people should just get me, we think. I wonder about the house in which Jesus grew up. Wonder about where he was uh, raised up in. Do you think the day when Jesus turned up at the temple and his parents were looking for him, for example, uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 40, those people just got him easily. We expect relationships without struggle sometimes. We expect grace from other people without having to show grace ourselves. We tend to forget, and we touched on this earlier uh, through our service and meditation. The ultimate example we have of family in the midst of whatever messy family circumstances or dynamics we're dealing with is that of a father, God the Father, who shared all things in creation and his very essence itself with the Son from eternity, John 10, 38, and Colossians 1, 15 to 17, and a son who sacrificed his very self to please the Father, John 18, 1 Timothy 2, 5. Child actor Joey Lawrence once put it this way, Whoa! <laughs> Along with the Holy Spirit, these are the interpersonal relationships. God the Father to God the Son, and God the Son to God the Father. These are the examples of divine love upon which human relationships will only logically follow if they want godly relationships. Since human beings are formed in the very image of God. The Bible says that there are three to the triune God we follow, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all unique persons, all individual members of the Godhead. Yet, as verse 4 of Deuteronomy 6, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Are our families one as well? One in the Lord. I know this kind of thinking isn't going to be easy for us, but how much better could our approach be to our marriages, to starting a family, to making sense uh, even of teenagers, to connecting with our grandchildren, to sorting out extended family member drama, if we remember, if we push on toward the self-sacrifice, the eternal mutual cooperation between members of the Trinity. Some verses you might note here, Matthew 3.17, John 5.19, and John 14.26. Three persons 
of the Trinity all work together, yet all work together as one. You know, kind of like everyone wishes their family back home could work together, like, like we all pretend they work together on social media. Like we all thought families did or at least should work at one point, right? Unity. In the Bible, it's almost kind of triunity, if you will. The goal of every Christian family, no matter how we're numbered, this kind of unity might have drastically changed the circumstances in, in, in all of these scenarios I mentioned earlier. The temptation, though, for us, the temptation for us, I think, especially with young families, is, is uh, unfortunately to, to treat our families much like we, like we do our wallets. We, 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 keep it, we keep them in our back pocket. They hold a lot of worth to us, but they don't really require a lot of maintenance. I got one of those Christian families, and I keep it next to my driver's license and my voter registration card. Trouble is, you, you can call yourself a Christian family, you can, you can consider yourself a Christian husband, uh, a Christian wife, you can say you have Christian kids, and you can even sound like a Christian when you talk about your in-laws. It's possible. By the way, I love my in-laws. But in-law jokes and family sermons are, are expected. <laughs> but I can't say I'm one of God's people if God's words aren't evident in my relationships. Maybe Rick and Susie Jones of scenario number one have children of the world because no matter what Sunday morning looked like at the church building, it was Monday through Saturday in the home that molded who they were. Verse 6 of our text, these words that I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk to them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Families will only walk in God if they've been taught to do so. God didn't say to the Israelites, this whole following me thing, just do it when you want. It's no problem. Just show up at the temple once a month. That'll be okay. Whatever doesn't get in the way of your family time. God says, make my words your family time. Constantly, diligently, all the time. But how often do we justify not being in the presence of the Almighty? Skipping worship, neglecting Bible study, passing on devotions for something that, that comes along that, that's, that's, that's more up my alley at the time, that's more fun at face value. Someone has said parents that treat the church as optional shouldn't be surprised when their children treat Jesus as unnecessary. But we do, and our families suffer for it. Well, what, what are we saying? You know, Am I just supposed to be going around talking about Jesus all the time? Well, only if, only if you want to be able to influence other people in your life who you're made in his image to be like. If you don't care whether your children or spouse or extended family function the way God intended them to live, because all that you do right now is influencing someone whether you like it or not. If you don't care whether your actions are a godly influence upon others, then by all means, be a walking and talking advertisement instead for the good life or the sports life or politics or hobbies in excess or the latest diet fad or whatever you want, you name it. But in time, the attacks of Satan on the home front, they won't even be recognizable unless you've been right here. Unless you've been regularly comparing What's the standard in, in your home to the standard that's right here? That's why it's so important that we're diligently in this, that we're studying the Word of God. If you're surrounded by uh, people in your home who, who yell at, cheat on, lie to, and neglect one another constantly, 
you might consider this a perfectly normal loving family unit until you look at what the words, words of God say about love, right? Remember, no matter what your family life at home or outside the home looks like today, good, bad, you name it, I promise you, Satan is doing all he can this instant right now to make it a fight. He's doing all he can. He's doing all he can to encourage, to encourage materialism and isolationism and infidelity and selfishness, to drive a wedge between members of your family unit and ultimately to destroy your family unit. The battle on the home front is a brutal one. And so as God's children, we must do as God the Son has done. Keep our minds on the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Which is the Word of God. Just think about what the world, as an alternative, as the other option, is filling our minds with constantly these days. We're seeing the increasing acceptance, the increasing frequency of pornography, of child abuse, sex trafficking, non-committed and redefined marriages by individual preference, as in how many spouses do you want in male or female, mix and match, it doesn't matter. The devil is saying anything goes, and legislation and culture are sadly following. That's the alternative to this. Children are now being conditioned, we're seeing this happen, to choose their own gender from childhood. Male and female are quickly becoming obsolete terms. These issues, these moral discrepancies, are, they're consuming our media and they threaten the family stability of our children, our grandchildren, and our great-grandchildren. This is no coincidence. This is spiritual warfare on the home front and it has worldwide implications. Worldwide implications. It's Pride Month. I was at McDonald's in Mount Pleasant. They have it decorated for Pride Month. This has worldwide implications, implications for the future. As one author notes, we know that a biblically grounded notion of family is crucial to raising children in the Lord, but there's more at stake today than raising the next generation of Christians. Our families are under attack because of all they represent. For God designed the family to serve as a ministry to the church and a ministry to the world. You're an elder at a local conservative congregation and your daughter just came out of the closet. Do you think that was a coincidence? Uncle Louie embarrasses you every Thanksgiving. You're trying to witness to Uncle Louie. Uncle Louie's an alcoholic. Uncle Louie needs to put down the booze because it's killing him. But Uncle Louie always makes smart remarks about you in front of your whole family, calls you a Bible thumper. This year, instead of taking God's word and standing up for it, you'd rather take the family Bible and really thump him with it. Do you think that's a coincidence? Separation. The issues with grandma and grandpa in scenario number three earlier. Coincidence. Troubled marriage of Matt and Lori, scenario number two. Family on the attack. Marriage is supposed to be representative of the very relationship Jesus Christ has with his bride, the church. Ephesians 5, it's a beautiful metaphor. We learn so much about the love of God for us and the love Jesus has for us. So you better believe the devil is doing his best to lay waste to this couple, couples like this couple, amid the mountains and the valleys that they've traveled in this broken world. Because Satan hates the family unit. He hates it. He hates your family. He hates my family. He hates family. We have to accept this so that we can stand up 
for what we have. Because the good news is we can. We can stand up for it. We can stand up for family. Today we really can. It doesn't matter if we failed to stand up for it in the past. You can stand up for that marriage today. You can start today, no matter your past. You can begin to set a godly example before your uh, family members, before your grown children, no matter your past. You can call those people up. You can attempt to restore uh, those estranged family relationships today, no matter what's happened. You notice our text today doesn't say uh, you messed up and failed to show someone 20 years ago that your, your heart was really in this. You're just going to keep on failing to love them indefinitely. There's nothing you can do about that. It doesn't say that. There's no condemnation here. That's the devil speaking. This is a text this morning that's full of grace long before grace came home to Bethlehem. Verse 6, these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. This is looking forward. This is what you can do. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house. Do it today. Don't waste any time not doing that. When you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, live God's word on the home front. Do it today. Proclaim it to your families this afternoon. You have the sword for battle against the devil. And it hasn't changed in 2,000 years. The good news is that also means it hasn't changed the whole time that I have failed to be a witness to it. God can still wield these promises in my life. He can still do that. And just quickly, I also want to mention, and I know we've, we've, we've talked about this a few times this morning, that it's Father's Day. I'd, again, like to thank Mike for his words of encouragement this morning. Uh, those were beautiful. Thank you so much, Mike and Karen, for putting that presentation together. But as we close today with our message, uh, we're going to wind up this morning with, with, with the ball kind of in the court of dads today. Because so many of the problems that we are facing in our families and so many of the crises that we are seeing in our homes today where half of all marriages end in divorce and nine out of ten people who have chosen family estrangement or separation from other family members, these people are suffering estrangement pain, especially around the holidays, even if they never talk about it. Nine out of ten. Ninety percent. So many of these problems are just symptoms. They're symptoms of what's really going on spiritually in our homes today. Not dismissing the influence of a godly mother, but according to these swords we carry, the word of God, guys, spiritual leading in the Christian home is up to us. That's our job. 1 Corinthians 11.3. Studies show that when mom is regular with church attendance, but dad isn't, only 3% of the children go on to regularly attend church. 3%. Yet when dad attends, but mom doesn't, 44% of the kids end up as regular church attendees. Wow. This number increases as both increases. Is coincidence? No, it's God's word. God's word tells us it's going to happen. There are exceptions, but spiritual leading is given to God's people. There's a role, there's a job for dad given to us by God the Father. I can think of no better day than this one to say, men of Ferris, will you diligently lead your children as well? But again, no matter, no matter what's gone on in, in your lives, in your, in your homes, in your extended family, no matter what's going on in your hearts, 
the truth is still the truth. And that's what I find so hopeful about our text today. Taking it to the home front. Have you failed God's word on the home front? Have you done that? That's okay. I have too. I praise the Lord. These words will last forever. This is a promise. It's never too late to let these words change you. Begin to let these words change your home, your family. You've been given a sword for battle. It's right here. Keep it with you. Learn it. Be in it. Teach it and live it. Because there's a good chance that there's somebody watching you at battle right on the home front. Will you pray with me? Father, as we sang earlier, we adore you. Lord, we we thank you for relationships. We thank you for the plan for family. We thank you, oh oh Lord, for, for being the giver of all things that are good. Lord, I thank you for, for the godly men godly women that are here today that have followed you that have set examples before their children to their communities to their neighborhoods Lord I know that no matter no matter where we are we're we're in the middle of a battle Lord I pray that you would you would prepare us for every fight that breaks out, no matter how obvious it may be to others. We know, Lord, that you know what's going on in our hearts. Lord, help us not to be, become bitter. Help us, Lord, not to, to, to become cynical about our, our, our families. Lord, help us not to, to, to lock ourselves away to become isolated or, or to withdraw or to, or to turn away from you. Help us, Lord, when, when we feel the enemy, when we feel the enemy's attacks on us, on our kids, on our marriages. Help us, Lord, to just grab a hold of you and cling tightly. Help us, Lord, to... to to have a real love for your word, that we, that we would continue to grow in it no matter where we are so that we, we can respond. I thank you, Lord, that, that you have not left us alone. As you've told us, as your word tells us, uh, you've not left us orphaned, but you've come to us. We have your spirit. Lord, may we be ever ready for battle. And most importantly, may we always take hope that you have the victory. Lord, long ago at Calvary, out of your love for us, with the love that that we look to, that we We emulate from day to day. Lord, we know that that 
that your love has, has already conquered all the hate. I pray, Lord, that you would draw us closer to you as we look to spending an eternity in which the enemy will never be able to take us away. We thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy. It is in Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen. You realize when you put on that, when you put on Christ, when you become that new creation in baptism, Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized, you become an adopted child of God, a member of the family, of the family. And the devil, the devil is, is powerless. You stand firm in the Lord. Nothing can ever sever this with you clinging on to God, hanging tightly onto him. A relationship that you can have forever. Someone that will never let you down. You will never be hurt or disappointed by Jesus. We can be hurt and disappointed by one another. We can, we can wound each other often. God will never let you down. I pray this morning that if you haven't made that decision to put on Christ, you haven't come up out of those baptismal waters, begun to follow him, begin that new life, that you'd come forward this morning. So we have our time of invitation. Uh, Brother Gerald's going to come forward as we sing our invitation song, Our God Saves. Out of his love for us, our God saves. This is a family unit like none other. Would you consider it today if you have not before? Would you stand and sing?